0: welcome to income for baby boomers if you want to learn about exciting new businesses each week from other boomers who speak your language and have started a unique and profitable business from home you have come to the right place for those who would like to try some of these low investment opportunities stay tuned we'll help you get started in your own profitable adventure now with your host and entrepreneur ken queen
1: i'd like to welcome dan miller uh writer of the uh, 10th edition of 48 Days to the Work Your Love is coming out. So uh, it's an amazing uh, journey you've had, Dan. How you doing?
2: I'm doing great. Yep, enjoying the journey for sure, Ken.
1: Fantastic, fantastic. Uh, I have read different uh, editions, and I spoke to your son like four or five years ago actually once uh, uh, about what he was doing also. So wow. I, uh, I hope he's doing well. I haven't talked to him since then. But, uh,
2: which son was that? Uh,
1: with, was working with you. Okay, that
2: would be Kevin.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I guess it's
2: Kevin. Yeah. yeah, we were just out in Colorado to visit Kevin and his family oh. of seven amazing children. Oh, nice! So wow. He's he's doing doing well, building his own business unit there.
1: Oh, super! And he's very busy, seven kids. Yes. <laughs> Got his hands full. Yes. That's funny. Then uh, what I always like to do is just kind of go back a bit and just get an idea of how you think, uh, how you became an entrepreneur and how you think, uh, how you thought, how you think, how you thought when you were younger. Um, when you, when did you first get the entrepreneurial bug? At what age? Uh,
2: it was about the same time that I uh, developed consciousness, Ken. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I,
1: That's the beginning. I,
2: I can't remember a time when I was not entrepreneurial. Wow. I grew up in a farm, so I had a, a little bit of experience, you know, mechanical things, plumbing, electrical, carpentry, all those various things. And I just saw opportunities all around me. So, I mean, when I was really little, I was taking the neighbor's lawnmower apart and fixing it and putting it back together. And I was a little older, and I would offer to take the neighbors up and down our road, their cars, and remove the, the tar the old dirt road, when they'd oil it once, once or twice a year, you know, remove the tar and then wax it. When I was six years old, I was selling Christmas cards door to door. Uh, when I was about 10 years old, I used to, after mom had all the sweet corn put away that she could possibly store, freezing in cannon, I'd get up early, early in the morning and pick the remaining sweet corn, put it in a little trailer behind our, our Ford Red Belly tractor, drive two miles up to the paved road and put my little sign out 30 cents a dozen and i would sell that sweet corn and make money it's just always how i've thought i've just never been able to get my head around just going somewhere sitting and being paid for my time so all i've ever done is just taken ideas and developed them one after another
1: that's Fantastic. I was going to say you must have been brought up on a farm and then you said farm. Absolutely.
2: I think it's a wonderful environment to get exposure to a lot of things and to see the real connection between work and the satisfaction that comes from it and also the income potential that comes from it. It really breaks my heart when I see kids growing up today that have never seen that connection. And all of a sudden they've got a college degree behind their name and then they're frustrated because no one wants them on their team. They haven't, de- haven't developed any real marketable skills.
1: For sure. For sure. I, I was thinking about when you said you took the lawnmower apart and different things apart. I tried to do that, but I could never get them back together.
2: So. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my dad was not a mechanic, but I became it defaulted to me very quickly, and I just have always enjoyed it, still do, although these days cars have become so computerized that it's difficult to be just a backyard mechanic and do anything on them
1: it's complicated yeah they're they're, <laughs> they're definitely a computer chip run uh, yeah that's a big difference but that knowledge still that you have is incredible for for today because you know a lot of breakthroughs are going to come through with the mechanical background that you have i think
2: it really I think, I think it i think you're right i think it really sets the stage to see things that other people missed to, to understand a in query about how things work and how to make them better and joanne my wife you know talks about the fact that we've rarely ever in our long marriage had repairmen come to our house because you know i, I can pretty well just take care of things as they come up uh, sometimes that works against me because i ought to use my time and, and spent in better ways than that perhaps but i still enjoy just getting out and doing things physically
1: yeah, that's part of your pleasure, so it's not, at that point, it's not work. When you fix the sink, you probably, the satisfaction of it isn't It isn't the savings of the money, but it was the satisfaction of being able to do it.
2: This last Saturday morning, I got up real early and went down, we have a very long lane, and there are trees on both sides, so they grow in with all the rain we've had, especially here in Nashville, Tennessee this year, so it grows in, so it needed a real severe trimming back. Well, I worked on that for about four hours, and I was soaked in sweat from head to toe and totally exhausted, and I felt great. You
1: probably probably slept like a baby. Oh, it
2: was one of those things, you know, showering never felt so good, but I I loved having done that. Uh, There was nothing about it that I was resentful, and I've got guys who are capable of doing that, but... I still just enjoy that process, the visceral connection of of work and what it really means.
1: Well, that is that is super. My um, my phone's dinging away here. I'm going to shut it off so we won't have any interruptions. There we go. All right. <laughs> um, okay, so you're. I got some kind of similar background because I was brought up for a few months a year on my grandparents' farm. So uh, I learned. That there's always work to do. <laughs> that was one thing. And uh, just how to make something out of nothing. And I think that you, a lot of stuff you've done, you've created in your life, something out of nothing that wasn't there. And you figured out how to apply it and how to make money with it, which is you know what a lot of the listeners are trying to do? They're taking their whole life and they're saying, you know, I've lived 60 years, and or 65 or whatever, and I've retired, and and now they put me out to pastor like I'm like life's over. And and, and, and you and I know that really that's probably an opportunity where life's really beginning.
2: That's right. They're, you know, ought to be able to use the wealth of wisdom and experience from those years. And come up with things that a 25-year-old would not have the ability to even think about.
1: What would you recommend for listeners right now that are saying, okay, I've had a uh, you know, a long background in uh, uh, plumbing. I've been a plumber all my life. And, and, and now I'm too old to get down and bend over and do all the jobs and climb and all the rest of it. But uh, I have all this knowledge about plumbing, and I also like baseball. Uh, although I, you know, I'm more of a, uh, I watch baseball, not necessarily an expert in in the sport. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you recommend for someone like that to saying, okay, I, I can't do the plumbing anymore. I want to do something with my life. W- where do they begin? What do they do?
2: I usually encourage them to look at the body of experience they already have. So in that case, being plumbing, you know, it may be difficult to climb under a sink on your back, you know, when you're 65 years old. But you may be able to do a little video on how to take care of a clogged sink or slow drain, or something like that. Where you put that video up, create a little course on Udemy or Lynda, one of the formats like that, and all of a sudden you got people paying, you know, five bucks a piece to watch your video, and still continue to create fifty, sixty thousand dollars a year. I mean, a lot of times we don't recognize the value of the information, the intellectual expertise that we have. A lot of times there's more value monetarily in sharing our knowledge than in actually doing the work itself. So a lot of times people can make that kind of a switch. You take something like you mentioned, you know, somebody's interested in baseball. Golly, I know a guy right now who is buying cameras on eBay in bulk. So he buys them, maybe last year's model, and he'll buy 20 of last year's model. They're still brand new. Then he'll sell them one at a time on Amazon. I was in his house recently, and on his marker board, he has written very clearly he's on track to net $220,000 this year. So sometimes something that's just, just an interest like that, when you may be able to, to watch the market up for baseball cards and really understand those, or baseball memorabilia, and just be familiar with that one tiny niche area of interest, and still start to you know, see things, recognize the value, or he brings it in, well, wow, and sells it to somebody who wants it, or it may not be uh, that he has to depend on the income, he has to have that to pay the mortgage or whatever, but just as a hobby, and all of a sudden, it's not only a hobby, but it's very fulfilling, and also very profitable.
1: And the the nice thing is not to have the pressure if you're retired, so <laughs> you don't have to produce, so it. There, there is some benefit there for, for older people. Now, keep, keep in mind, a lot of my listeners have got a skinny retirement, so they're saying, hey, I need to, you know, if I want to do the things I've done all my life, I need to start making an extra 20000 a year doing something.
2: Well, I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a, a thorn, and, of course, I'm at the age where I could be retired if I wanted to be. The concept just doesn't hold water with me at all. Being retired almost as a red flag to the world that I'm not smart enough to figure out anything to do that's productive with my time. <laughs> I mean, ouch, That that's not the message I want to be sending to the world. So it doesn't matter what I need. I'm going to figure out something that I can do that is purposeful and also profitable.
1: So for someone like this that's the plumber and saying, okay, how am I going to, I mean, what's it going to cost me to start uh, creating videos? And, uh, you know, how easy uh, – uh, you can maybe expand on Udemy so that people know what, what that's all about too. But what uh, w- what does he do? What's it going to be – what's his cost going to be to get this venture off the ground?
2: Well, yeah. people always want to know that. We, we have to recognize, you know, Entrepreneur Magazine just recently had a survey and they said 69% of all um, – new businesses that are being started today require less than $10,000, 69%. Now, it's not the ones where they say, gee, we need $8 million in venture capital to get this going. And almost 14% requires zero in capital. There's still lots of things you can do with zero capital. But as you're asking there, how do you get an online course up and running? I have courses up on Udemy. One of the ones I have up there is right now is... How to create your own mastermind group. Now, so we have eight videos up there, and then the text, it's all formatted, beautiful, and all that. Here's my investment zero. I had a couple of young guys. There are so many of these young, brilliant guys who understand videography and technology and all that. I had some guys, and they said, Why don't you let us do this? And we'll just take 15% of whatever money you make. I said, fantastic. Now, nice. we, we put the revenue got a course up that is $38, and we fully expect to sell 10000 of that. Well, that's almost half a million dollars. Th- that's going to be a nice payday for these young guys. Does that work well for me? Yes, indeed, it does. I mean, I love that, but I do a lot of things like that where I just link arms with somebody whose skills complement my own but it doesn't require a lot of money to do anything that you're going to hear from me talk about.
1: So this, these, uh, a, a person, a plumber, again, could create eight videos on how to take care of all your plumbing. So one video could be on sinks, one on toilets, whatever. So it, it, it could be on eight different, uh, features of what a plumber, uh, how to unplug, whatever. Uh, so he could have eight different videos on that. And, Turn around and charge forty-eight bucks. Is that is that a low price or high price on Udemy, or how does that fit in? That's probably on the higher
2: side. There are a lot of courses up there for ten dollars. And I would instead of having eight together, I'd break them out into one each one being a standalone. So you have eight different ones and make them all ten bucks a piece. So in compilation, they'd be eighty dollars instead of forty-eight. But yeah make it simple. Keep it real simple for something like that. If somebody has a problem with the toilet on a Saturday morning. They don't care about you know installing a sink in a new construction. So keep it just specifically focused to what it is that they need. But yeah, and that same plumber, to use your example there, could write a little ebook on again any one of those topics. You know, how do you do that? And just write a little ebook that people pay three dollars for if you want to. It's amazing how the scalability of some of these things can really work to your advantage. He may decide that he's going to do a, a Saturday morning presentation at the local Chamber of Commerce for housewives who may be widowed or divorced on how to take care of the plumbing needs in your house. And instead of charging them, he can get a couple of local plumbers, get them as sponsors, do a, a one-hour presentation and put a thousand bucks in his pocket because of sponsors who want to have influence with the audience that he's going to attract. And there's so many ways to leverage even with the example that you're giving, somebody who has accumulated knowledge and experience, it's so easy to just put legs in those things in today's environment.
1: And a big thing that you mentioned there that, that really got my attention is the niching down. Uh, so, like you said, the housewife doesn't want to know about new new installation of, of a toilet in a uh, new construction. She wants to know how to unplug hers. So That's right. Uh, it's keep keep it simple stupid (laughs) the the kiss principle there. yes so focus on that all right um so let's let's go to someone i mean i don't think there's anyone in the earth like this but uh, some of them think they are uh they've done 50 jobs in their life and they really don't think they're an expert at anything uh but they've done lots of odd jobs so they have done some plumbing they've done some painting they've done some accounting, they you know, but they really don't think – they really don't realize what they know. Mm-hmm. What 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 do these people do that have come to the end and they, hey, I've been, you know, a caretaker all my life. What do I know? You know, this type of uh, thinking. Well, what do we do with them? Well, there
2: has to be some unique area of expertise. I mean, it would be really sad if somebody was at retirement age and didn't feel like there was anything where they had a unique area of expertise in it. You I know, mean, if you don't, then you can be a greeter at Walmart or you can work at McDonald's and ask people if they want fries with that. I mean, those $8 an hour jobs, you're on the same level with somebody who has no work experience and no unique area of expertise. You know, what would be sad, but that's the position you're going to put yourself in. If you can't recognize something about the wealth of your experience that would allow you to you know, help somebody in a unique way. But I would encourage somebody, even with a variety of experiences, different careers and jobs, make a list of 20 things that you could possibly do. Give yourself 30 days to go through this process, but make a list of 20 things that you know you could do well. Then match that with what you know about yourself in terms of your own personality style, your passions, your dreams, your interests. See which ones remain when you start crossing things out that you know you have the ability to do but you would not really enjoy. Get that list down to four or five. Do a little bit more research about what that would look like if you did something in those areas. And then choose one, create a plan of action, and execute it. And you can do that. I mean, that's, I'm big, as you know, in a 48-day kind of process. But you can dramatically change direction, change your life in 48 days if you create a plan and act on it. But those people who get to that point and just say, well, you know, there's nothing, that I just, you know, worked at the factory all those years and now it's over. they don't even have those kind of jobs anymore If they don't recognize the value they have in themselves, nobody else is going to force it out of them and a lot of those people are you know sitting in retirement centers, you know watching the sun come up and go down again because they haven't figured out anything to do that's productive in those later years and it is sad,
1: but in reality, would you agree that it isn't that they didn't know anything? they just haven't sat down and figured it out? Oh, absolutely. Right?
2: Absolutely. There is nobody. There's nobody 60 years old that doesn't have unique experience that has real value.
1: All right. So, so, I mean, even I I, just give you an example. A friend of mine has the most amazing family and the most amazing kids. He doesn't feel maybe he has any specialty that he's good at, but there's no one that can run a family like he did and have relationships like he did. So that's a value, isn't it?
2: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely.
1: He's not a psychologist, he's not, you know, but he has (laughs) what everyone wants.
2: Well, my dad, when he was 67, sold the farm, the family farm, and essentially retired and was able to if he would have wanted to do nothing, but that's not his style. I had a wonderful garden, planted fruit trees on their new house. And, but what he did primarily was act as a taxicab for the Amish people in the community. And my dad was raised Amish, so he spoke Pennsylvania Dutch. He loved it. I mean, were, he would get up at 3:30 in the morning and go start picking people up because there's a wedding two states away that he was going to haul people to. And this was years and years ago, but he was charging a dollar a mile. So a lot of times, you know, he'd have five, six hundred dollars in his pocket. He'd take out reasonable expenses, but it wasn't that much. But that's what he did. He did that until he was 88 years old. He was driving people to events because they didn't drive, but they still need to go to weddings, funerals, a hospital, and so on.
1: And to bring it to today, Uber.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Just all you need to have is a car and a pleasing personality. And you can be a driver for Uber. Yep.
1: And, again, uh, you're not necessarily going to get rich, but then if you needed a few extra dollars, I've heard people make a couple of hundred dollars a day at times, uh, especially if they focus on the hot spots because the way Uber works is, I don't know their rates, but it's like let's say a dollar uh, a minute normally. If you focus on the early morning hours and the rush hour, you make five dollars a minute driving rather than one dollar. So you can make five times the money if you, you know, if you were well into work during the hours when they really need you. Yeah,
2: well, My wife and I had an Uber ride recently in Chicago who wanted to go to a particular play. And it was a little farther than what I had anticipated, but anyway, it was a $156 ride one way. Wow. <laughs> very beautiful car, very nice gentleman, and we weren't upset about that at all. But, yeah, it's 156 bucks just to take us from our hotel to where the play was going to be.
1: Amazing. So there are opportunities for... People even, I mean, all you need is a car in this case. You don't have to have anything. Of course, like you say, you have to like people.
2: Yeah, that's right. You really do.
1: That you have to decide to like people, uh, uh, I think, is a big part of it. Um, all right. So, again, uh, Dan, uh, your course and your your, your book, uh, tell us a bit about that. Let's, let's go into detail on that.
2: Forty-eight days to the work you love. Grew out of a Sunday school class. I was teaching that just as a volunteer in the church, having no thought of doing anything more with it than that. But people started coming from other churches and other states to that Sunday school class. Just so we we, would talk about how to navigate these inevitable transitions that come up. And I realized we weren't just getting the college kids who were figuring out what to do. We were getting physicians and attorneys and dentists and even pastors who are saying, you know, people see me as successful, but I don't think I'm on the right track. I think there's something missing. So I was out of that Sunday school class when people kept asking for materials, that I was kind of backed into a corner to produce some very rudimentary materials initially, and I just started making them available to people, but had a lot of success selling those early ones that I was contacted by publishers and then it was published as a traditional book in 2005 originally. Uh, as I mentioned, as you mentioned in your opening, we just released the 10th anniversary edition of that book. But it's continued to really open a lot of doors for me, a lot of opportunities to speak, teach, coach, consult. So we're developing additional materials to turn that into a full seminar series that will be used by universities. We get a lot of requests from universities and also from churches and local community organizations that want to make that available. we're to be presented in small groups.
1: Now, uh, to take it to that highest level, uh, you do uh, personal consultations, you're saying, also, right?
2: Um, I I really don't. For uh, for many years, I did personal coaching. But with uh, my schedule at this point, the things that I'm focused on, uh, we have a coaching mastery program where we have people who are learning how to be coaches. So my coaching, my personal coaching is focused on those people so the only coaching I do personally is with other coaches. But we do have a lot of requests that come in, people needing redirection, and we have some very competent 48 Days coaches that are matched up with those people to help them through those transitions.
1: All right. Uh, let's uh, hear a little bit about this uh, coaching uh, mastery program. So we uh, keep in mind, again, a lot of listeners, they have, you know, they might be an accountant for all for 30 years. They know accounting back. Backwards, They might know accounting for farmers particularly and, you know, know a specialty because the reason I mentioned that, I mentioned uh, I met a fellow uh, at a resort I was at uh, a year ago or so. And he said, uh, well, I'm a specialist in farming for accountants. And he says, "Uh, I know this better than anyone in the country. And uh, I said, well, uh, whereabouts do you practice? He says, oh, just in my local area. And I said, well, why? Why don't you create a course or something to uh, expand this knowledge? And that's exactly – he probably needed your course.
2: (laughs) Well, a lot of what I do speak on is leveraging your unique message. Um, I did a video with Michael Hyatt not too long ago that has really gotten a whole lot of attention – and it was how to make $150,000 this year leveraging junior message. So a lot of people that have a unique area of expertise, as you mentioned, be that accounting, as an example, they can put that into a format where they can get paid to do a, some kind of a speaking presentation. They can create a course on that. They can create other kind of products, instructional manuals, audio components that people would buy. So it's by leveraging it that rather than just doing something where you create a linear income, I really help a lot of people understand the principle of residual income. The things that get my attention, Ken, you know, we talk about coaching and even, like, speaking or consulting. Those are things you do once and get paid once. The only things that really get my attention are things that I can do one time and get paid 10,000 times for it. Nice. So I'm always looking at what can I do that repurposes my message, makes it available to people in any way that they want it. But it's something that can make me money while I'm sound asleep or spending time with my grandkids in Colorado. I got you,
1: yes. Uh, Residual income is important. Um, So like you're saying, uh, you were talking about going and speaking to the Chamber of Commerce or whatever. Mm -hmm. If you had such a great talk there and you recorded it, you could sell that. Now, that talk can be income forever.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, it can be that simple. I've done tele-seminars where I I invited people where people paid to access the information as I delivered it, but then in recording it, we create an instant product that goes on. There there was one that I did a couple years ago called Write to the Bank, W-R-I-T-E, where we did a play on the word write, but how to use your writing, how to turn your writing into income. Well, the night that I did it, uh, we we charged $69 for that. And the night that I did it, I netted over $18,000 from people – around the world who were listening to that, who just paid that access to listen to it. And I thought, my goodness, this is a hot topic. So we took the actual recording of that call and just, and the text just transcribed the text from that, put it together as a product. And we sell that product electronically where there's no physical product at all, but it's just electronic for $117 and sell them every single day because it's a topic that's of interest to people
1: and but in having done it
2: once a couple years ago, it continues to make me money every single day.
1: Speaking about hot, again, listeners are thinking, well, I don't know anything about that subject matter or that subject matter. Uh, should, they, they, should they be pursuing hot subject matters or should they be looking more inward to figure out if they've got a hot subject matter in themselves? Or at least, you know, there, there's a I think someone said the other day to me, there's an audience for everything. I don't know how big an audience,
2: but yeah. there's
1: an audience for everything. What do they do? Do they pursue, do they pursue and chase after what's hot out there, or do they, or do they approach it differently? No,
2: that, that, that's a great dichotomy, Ken, to set it up like that because you don't do that. That's a recipe for frustration. To chase after the hottest thing and just try to be one more person in that area, it's absolutely a matter of looking inward and finding what is it that you really enjoy. How can we leverage that? I would rather help somebody you know, leverage their, their interest in growing dandelions than try to talk them into being good at computer programming just because we know that's a hot topic. Now, you, you can find an audience if for, for anything that it is. If you become excellent at doing that, there's going to be an enough audience for that that you can prosper.
1: Yeah, it's, I think people are afraid. They're saying, "I'm going to, I'm going to niche down too far that there's not going to be anyone left." But it's almost, with the worldwide audience like you're saying, it's almost impossible not to have an audience for dandelions. I mean, worms, whatever. That's right.
2: It used to be that we really had some geographic limitations, but at this point we don't. I mean, our, even our national borders are porous. You know, you can have an audience on a particular topic and have people from Nigeria and Ecuador and New Zealand who are listening in or communicating with you directly via Zoom or Skype or something like that. So you can have a very, very tiny niche topic, and still, I mean, you can be talking to blue eyed people who bought a Toyota in 2004 you know, with four doors and not a flat tire on a Tuesday, <laughs> you, you, you can you can be so incredibly niched and still find an audience for that.
1: And probably that's where you should start and expand from there, would you say? Totally.
2: Start with what you already know and what you already enjoy. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Um. With uh, Michael Hyatt, that uh, was that a podcast about the uh, how to make one hundred fifty thousand this year? It, was that what the podcast you did with him? It was a
2: video interview, but then he put it up as one of his podcasts as well. But it's easily found if you just go to well, if you, how to make one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year is probably going to take you right to it. Oh. Okay. But if you just go to Michael Hyatt's site and put in Dan Miller, it's going to come up too. I've done multiple things, but that'll show up at the top.
1: That'll show the top. Yes. Okay, that that uh, interested me, and I, I'm sure a lot of my listeners. All right.
2: Yeah, that's been I, – I had a pastor call me just recently from Florida. He said he has watched that video from start to finish 12 times. It's totally rocked his world in helping him see opportunities that he never knew existed.
1: And, and that is it, isn't it? It's not a lack of opportunity. It's a lack of vision.
2: That's exactly right. It sure is opportunities are everywhere is the world changing absolutely are opportunities diminishing not a chance
1: and i think the other thing too is the fear of failure is a fellow i talked to last week he said you're gonna fail so get that out of the way (laughs) absolutely you're gonna fail and you're just gonna keep going till you figure it out that's all it's not a matter of uh, you're gonna get it right the first time because you, you you won't. He said, decide you won't to worry about it. And now you got that over with. Just keep going and you'll figure it out as you go.
2: Just call it research and development. Don't call it failure. <laughs> it's R&D. Yeah, get used to it. The legitimate part of the process for ultimate success.
1: It, and we're happy that Edison didn't stop at the first attempt at the light bulb, or we'd
2: be <laughs> sitting in the dark. <laughs>
1: using candles that's right <laughs> all right super uh, okay dan any final messages that uh you'd like to say to to the folks uh to encourage them uh because they're searching and trying to figure out just what are they going to do with the next 20 years
2: yeah well for your audience in particular well i would just encourage people it's never too late to have a new beginning you know, I, I talk to 27-year-olds who say, gee, Dan, I majored in the wrong thing in college. There's not a market for it. You know, now I'm doomed. And it's like they're going to just coast into the grave. And I'm thinking, you got to be kidding me. You're not even old enough to ask the right questions. But, you know, so it doesn't matter if somebody's 27 or 87. If you want to find opportunities, they're there to be discovered, and you can shape something that's unique, personalized, and of value to the rest of the world.
1: Like, I guess, I'm not sure of the exact dates, but Grandma Moses supposedly started painting at 80.
2: That's right. She did. She had buried a God-given talent all those years because people told her it wasn't practical or realistic. Eked out a living, and then she decided just to revisit what she'd enjoyed as a little girl. Yeah, and we're told that her first painting at that age sold for over $100,000, which is more money than she had earned in her entire working lifetime. But that's the that's the danger of thinking that our own dream is not you know going to we're going to be able to put legs on it.
1: Let me just dig a little deeper just for a second. Uh I think a lot of the listeners have tried, you know, a couple of things online, maybe bought a couple of courses, <laughs> you know, you know the the drill. Sure. And and they didn't make a nickel. Oh, this was cost the money and they're saying, "Now what?" Yeah. How do they get? Uh, how do they break out of uh, out of that situation?
2: They just keep going. Just recognize you're closer to the success you're looking for than the guy next to you who never did anything. I I I have little cassette programs here, you know that I paid nine hundred ninety seven dollars for, you know, and when I started listening to them, it was like, oh my gosh, this is I, I got sold on the idea of buying it, but it doesn't have any value in it at all. I've never gone back to that person or complained or bad mouth. It's just part of the process. Mm-hmm. But I commit at least two hours a day to reading, listening, to positive material, and that constant flow keeps me exposed to more ideas than I could ever possibly implement.
1: And you found out some of the things that didn't work. I think I have a couple of $2,000 programs <laughs> laying around here like that. <laughs>
2: Absolutely. I mean, there are kids that are within Stan's where I'm sitting here that are you know going to Vanderbilt University in Belmont. They're paying $40,000 a year to try to learn something useful. You know, if you spend $2,000 in the course of a year on a course that doesn't have any value, it's just part of your education. Don't worry about it, you know. <laughs> They're getting things in their fancy, fancy, you know, education, so-called, that are not going to change their life in any meaningful way at all. And yet they're okay with doing that. But sometimes, you know, unless it's in a university setting, uh, we, we see it as a wasteful use of money rather than a part of a legitimate education.
1: I got you. All right. So it really isn't what happened to us. A lot of times is how we interpret it.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: <laughs> we look back and say <laughs> there was an education.
2: There. Yes.
1: Don't do that. In <laughs> that,
2: yes, I, I tell people even in the early years and careers, I had some questions today come in from um, millennials. You know, they're saying, "Oh, I've had three or four jobs. You know, I didn't like any of them. You know, I'm really off track." And I'm telling them, you know, those first three, four, five, six jobs right out of college are usually the the highest value from those is to help you figure out what you don't want to do. Don't don't be discouraged if you don't find your dream job right out of the gate. That would be really unusual. But value the journey in the process of clarification.
1: Wow. Just to get your thought on that education thing, (laughs) I can't remember, but this is some famous guy I listened to here recently, and he said – I said to my kids they just graduated one of them just finished grade 12 he said I'll give you 30,000 bucks to travel anywhere in the world and have any experience you want rather than going to university if you want okay <laughs> he was saying the university to spend the 30,000 there like was a waste of money and that 30,000 if he traveled the world and did something with it he'd learn 10 times as much do you agree with that oh my and gosh
2: I think well, when my oldest son, Kevin, who you met apparently some at some point, when he was 17, we allowed him to go to Fort Collins, Colorado and start training with the Olympic bicycle racing team. He then went on. That was technically before he even graduated from high school. We, we arranged for him to get a diploma by some creative means. He then went on to Holland. He lived for two years in Holland, raced on the Dutch national team, so raced throughout Europe. Well, I had people knowing that I have a pretty deep history in the academic world, so aren't you concerned, you know, that Kevin's not in college, he's out of high school, he's not in college. Well, so he may at some point elect to go to college, but right now he's too busy getting an education. <laughs> <laughs> and i totally, 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 how could you compare the value of sitting in a chair regurgitating a textbook as it compares to traveling around the world, seeing other people, other cultures, other faiths, and how that's going to enrich you as a person and broaden your opportunities. There's just no comparison.
1: Gee, I wish I had that offer when I graduated.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: wait a minute. Wait a minute. I didn't. Well, Ke- Kevin
2: did not go to college. He continued racing bikes till he was 42 years old. Uh, Had had that rich, rich experience. They built a beautiful, big 5,500 square foot house up in an Aspen Grove uh, in Woodland Park, Colorado. He's now the host of the Zig Ziglar podcast. And he has business connections that people would die for because he just got engaged in life Mm -hmm. and proved his value in ways that came other than just showing that he had information stored in his head.
1: Yeah, that's uh, amazing. So uh, what you're saying is a world education of hard knocks kind of thing is there's no comparison to sitting. Uh, I mean, did it ever have a value, people sitting in schools for seven years or whatever? I guess if you're becoming a doctor or an attorney or something. But, but for many, uh-huh. it just seems they've spent that seven years and now they're uh, – they're expert poets or something. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I don't
2: want to have just a blanket sweep under the carpet, diminishing the value of that. I mean, for many people, it has a, a lot of value. It did for me when I came off a farm, was raised in a very tight little religious uh, group, and college was a way to really broaden my horizons. So I got my bachelor's degree, and then I got my master's degree. And then I did my doctoral work through Oxford. I mean, i had a wonderful academic path. But here's the key difference. I never positioned that process as the magic ticket to give me a high-paying job. It was just personal development that I was interested in.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So I was doing it for personal growth. That could never be taken away. But the fallacy is that so many people are just thinking, hey, whatever they have to do, you know, don't absorb the material. They can cheat to get it. Just get the degree, and some the world is going to value you because of that. That's where we get into trouble.
1: I've got you. I've got you. And speaking of bicycling, your son probably knows uh, Lauren Heffron, Cyclismo's founder. She does bicycle tours all through, like, Italy. Oh,
2: he may I'm not familiar with that name, but Kevin probably is
1: yeah I interviewed her uh a, a while back, and I mean, he probably <laughs> has heard of her uh but she's doing her passion she's you know uh an uh not gonna say an old lady, but an older you know she's not a young person uh-huh. she's just living her dream
2: that's awesome that, you
1: know she's doing bicycle tours and being on most uh, half of them with the people
2: <laughs> uh, that's cool
1: she's loving it. Well, uh, this has been great. I, I appreciate, Dan, all the time you've taken today, and uh, I'm sure this is going to encourage all the listeners, including me, it has. so, <laughs> uh, And uh, I, I appreciate your work uh, to help people to to develop ideas and to, to, to make a future no matter what their age. It, you, you know, what you've, uh, you've lived a life that I think, will. That has helped many and will help many more, and I, I appreciate that, that you've done that for, for our listeners here today, Dan. Well, thanks.
2: As you can tell, I never get tired of talking about it. It energizes me. It's an exciting time to be alive and see opportunities. Again, age is, is not the critical factor. It's having those eyes to see the opportunities. So I'm honored to be your guest today, Ken. Thank you.
1: Well, thank you, and uh, we'll talk, hopefully we can interview you in, in a few months or a year from now and see what new things you're up to then. All right. I got more on my
2: plate than I've ever had in my life. Oh, wow.
1: <laughs> well, thank you for taking the time for
2: us. All right. Bye-bye. All right, sir. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to Income for Baby Boomers with your host, Ken Queen. Helping boomers like you get a business started you can run from your own home. We interview owners of both online and offline businesses, but most importantly, ones that are run by baby boomers. Stay tuned next week for new and exciting businesses that you can start from your home. Until next time, have a profitable and blessed week.